This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hot Stove as the Mariners get ready for the 2021 baseball season. I'm Rick Riz, along with Gary Hill. Later, we're going to be joined by Dave Sims and Shannon Dreyer. Tonight, we'll have a chance to visit with Mariners manager Scott Service for a look back at the 2020 season and a look ahead to the 2021 campaign. We'll also visit with young starting pitcher Justin Dunn, who in 10 starts last season went 4-1, and one, and we'll also talk with talented young outfielder Taylor Trammell, who was picked up by the Mariners last season in a deal with the Padres. Taylor joins a bevy of talented young outfielders looking to make an impact on the future of this franchise. And in the second hour of Hot Stove, Dave Sims, Shannon Dreyer, Gary, and I will take a look back on the amazing career of Henry Aaron, who passed away last Friday morning at the age of 86. We'll talk about Aaron's impact on the game of baseball, both on and off the field. We'll also visit with Mariner scout John Wiedenbauer, who scouted Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock. Gary, with each passing day, we get closer and closer to the start of spring training down in Peoria, Arizona. I'm looking forward to talking with the Skipper Scott Service and get his take on what this year's ball club is going to look like. Yeah, it's going to be great to see Scott. It's going to be great to have him here. We're here at the ballpark again, which which adds to the fun as we get closer and closer. Doesn't it feel like spring training's inside at this point? I mean, when you start to... Uh, I mean, we're just a couple of days away from February, right? And next time we do this, we'll be in February. It always feels like things really turn and start to accelerate when you get to February, when you can start to count pitchers and catchers reporting on a couple mm-hmm. of hands, right? <laughs> You're getting pretty close. <laughs> I can't wait till we get down to Peoria, Arizona. Well, tonight we've got a great show for you here on Hot Stove, and we'll be back with the Skipper Scott Service right after these messages. And welcome back to Hot Stove, and we have our very first uh, guest, a very special guest, Skipper Scott Service, joins us here in the first hour. And, Scott, I know you're excited about the 2020 season after watching 2020, looking forward to the 2021 campaign, uh, getting ready. How excited are you about getting down to Peoria, Arizona? Uh, I'm fired up. Uh, I think everybody gets that itch, so to speak, after the, the holidays are passed and getting into the the new year and looking forward to now as the, the NFL playoffs are winding yeah. down and, and the Super Bowl is set. The, the next thing on everybody's plate is, you know, the spring training and, you know, getting down into Arizona. Hopefully we can start on time. Uh, yeah. That's the plan right now. And that's what we're planning for. But you never know. We got to make good decisions uh, for the welfare and, and, and safety and health of our players, staff and everybody involved. But right now it's it's full systems go. We're good. looking to uh, do physicals on February 17th and pitchers and catchers on the 18th. During the course of a regular season, we spend so much time in your office. Uh, we get to welcome you to our office here. You're, you're in our booth. I don't remember you making a visit here before, I have so never, welcome. I've never been, and, and I've been in a few booths up here, but uh, you know, it's normally with the, the 710 uh, show, whatever, mm. during the season when, when Salk and, and Brock used to be up. But I have not been in your yeah. booth here before, Riz. you got quite the collection of of pictures and, and some, some nice stuff. You've been at this for a while, Riz. Uh, there's some older pictures. Of uh, thank you, buddy. Yeah, 36 years, 39 years of the big leagues. Yeah, you, you accumulate things, 
And one thing I like to accumulate our friends, and uh, this that's what this game does for us, you know, and you know that being in baseball, you know, all these years, you get some great memories. Oh, it really is. And many more to make. It's, it's what it's about. It's the people and it's the connection and the relationships you make. And, you know, you look back over the seasons and there's certain years that were just, you know, unbelievably exciting on the field. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you know, it's, it's the people who are you comfortable picking up the phone and calling in the off season and, and yeah. catching up with and, and connecting with. And, and the baseball world is such a small world. It's, it seems like the people you run through at certain points of your career, they cycle through again. Yeah. <laughs> you see them. In another you see form. Them. Yeah, and, and, and then they're in a road. different job or, or whatnot. And it's just funny to me to watch, I think, right away again, back to my playing days and playing for Dusty Baker. Oh. Uh, and now I'm managing against Dusty yeah. Baker. It's just pretty, pretty wild cool. uh, how it goes. But, yeah, the, the relationships, the people you meet along the way. And what's fascinating about baseball is everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to give them the opportunity to tell it. Yeah. And learn from them, um, and that's what excites me as, as much as anything about our young team is they've all got their story, and we got a lot of them, uh, exciting young players to look forward to and watch their growth and how their careers play out. Um, and my focus, obviously, uh, and my coaching staff is how do we get the most out of these guys? Mm-hmm. How do we get them better? Um, and we spent a lot of time this off season, you know, looking at each individual player and their plans, and you know, what's the little increment there's one percent two percent better in these different areas because when you put it all together if we can get this guy a little bit better and that guy a little bit better and this guy more consistent keep this other guy healthy you look up at the end of the day we got a chance to do something pretty special here Mm. i really enjoyed the baseball bash this past week getting a a close look a different interaction with a lot of the players but also some people in the organization that that a lot of fans may not know or have interacted with and i come away with not only do you have a, a lot of fun people in the organization, but a lot of good people in the organization, really up and down. It, it really speaks well to what is being built here. We have a lot of talent. Yeah. And the talent is not just in the dugout or in the clubhouse mm-hmm. or on the field. Uh, there's a lot of talented people uh, within the building here. And, and really, uh, not just here either, but, but scouts and the job that they are doing. You know, I look at, you know, again, I just saw the other day we signed three or four young Latin players and, and I look at the table and, and our scouts are there at the table and then I think back to my days and getting an opportunity to experience all that and what goes into signing a young player and, and the talent and, and just kind of how it all works so talented people in our scouting department player development department you look within our, our analytical department here our front office what they bring and it really it's a culmination of you're trying to get the the best group you can, a group that is a very growth-minded group that it does want to push the envelope a little bit. And how do we get better in this area, that that area? Just like I'm talking about with the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as I look back on kind of what's happened here over the last five years to where we're at today versus where we were yeah. when we first came in here, when I first got the job, it's unbelievable uh, what a difference it's made and, and how my day has changed. Mm, um, yeah. You know, with the, the people that I get to interact with and learn from on an everyday basis. So, like I said earlier, it's an exciting time. We've got a chance to do something really special here. We've got a chance to be good for a long, long time. And I'm focused on being good as quick as we can be good, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and winning a few more yeah. games here out on the field. You bring up a great point. Point. I want to talk about the young players coming up, but there's so many people involved in getting ready for another season. Can you tell the fans what's going on right now to put together that roster of 60 to 65 players, veterans and young players that you want to see down in Peoria, Arizona? Because it's it's a huge undertaking to get ready for another season. So what goes on like right now in the past few weeks? Well, it's it's I've had the unique experience throughout my career is, is you know, being in the front office and understanding what goes on in an offseason because I think, you know, the, the – 
the off season on the front office side is probably your busiest time. Yeah. You know, whether it's it's going through the arbitration process with your own players, it's talking to free agents, it's talking to other teams about trades and things like that. So knowing how hard uh, and the time put in uh, uh, Jerry and Justin Hollander and uh, and our group up in the front office and what goes into that, I certainly have a tremendous amount of appreciation for that. Uh, you know, in dealing with our players and what's going on as we prep for spring training, you know, the, the focus in, in trying to take information in. You know, there's so much information out there about our players, and baseball is so numbers-orientated anyway. You know, we tie everything to a number. So trying to get to the point where our coaching staff can grasp the numbers, understand what areas certain players need to get better in, and then it's all about getting it in a form that is uh, our players can understand and, and put it in play on the field. So, uh, you know, we've done some interesting things uh, this offseason, maybe a little bit different than others past, as we just continue to add to our programs. One of the programs I'm so proud of, and, and this is great to get on these calls, it's called our, our Game Calling University. And, and what we do there is we get all our catchers on a, on a Zoom call once a week. Uh, this year, it's, we've really amped it up and taking all the analytics that we talk about our pitchers and breaking probably one, we break down two pitchers per week. Um, it takes about an hour a time. We've got eight or ten catchers on the call with probably another eight or ten other coaches. Uh, but our pitching coaches are running the call and breaking it down and, and trying to get our catchers to understand this is the best version of this player when he does these things. He throws these type of pitches certain percentage of times. This is uh, where we're trying to locate these pitches and helps our catchers understand where the targets need to be. This is how the pitch should break. The pitch shaping is what we call it. And and taking all the information that you get from TrackMan, you get from Rapsodo, tie it all into one bundle and get it to the point where it can actually play out on the field. Now, that takes a ton of time. And the people behind the scenes putting this together and basically driven by our analytical department and our coaching staff have really meshed. Uh, unbelievable. Where there's no ego involved understanding this is what this guy's really good at. I got to trust him. And then this is what this other person is really good at. I got to trust him to do his job. And when it comes together, you got really good communication. There's really good synergy and everybody's understanding what the ultimate goal is here. The ultimate goal is just get the best out of our yeah. players, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Them to perform on a, on, a, on a consistent basis. And that's what we got going on this off season. And it takes a lot of people involved in it. Uh, it's been fun for me. I get on the calls and I'm sitting back and I'm, I'm listening for the most part. Yeah. I'm, I'm, wa I'm looking at the presentation on the zoom call and you know, they, they've got all the, the, the graphics and, and the, the video and everything tied in together. And, and I may have a question or two to try to understand it. I may have one or two comments about a particular player, but I'm learning. I'm learning from our guys, and I think we've created an environment that really allows people to step up and have a voice. And that way we have a chance to all get better, and that's what's going on behind the scenes. Sounds like you're playing a simulated game in January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've done a lot of that stuff in the past as well, but we're just trying to, to, to work ways to, to get better. Um, and it's such a competitive world that we live in, and certainly the baseball world. How do we come up with a competitive advantage yeah. on the other team? Because Everybody's got good coaches. Everybody's got young players. Everybody's got some veteran guys. I mean, everybody's got front offices that work hard. But what is going to be our competitive advantage? And, and that's what we're constantly, you know, trying to wow. to turn the ground over to come up with that competitive advantage because it will play out. It will make a difference. And I think we're quite a ways down the road in, in continuing to have that advantage. And I said it earlier in the call, baseball is about people. It's about relationships. And, and certainly in any business, you're trying to get your people to buy in and trust and our players trust. They trust mm -hmm. us. They trust what we do because we know we have, uh, they know we have their best interest at heart. And that's about performing consistently out on this field every day. You mentioned the analytics and the numbers. I mean, you've been in this game 
a long time in a lot of different roles, from a player to front office to a manager now. What has your evolution been like when you look at the numbers? How has that taken place over the course of the years? Well, I've learned a lot, and I think the biggest thing that numbers have done for me is is it helps me make better decisions, mm. more evidence-based decisions versus just the gut feel. Mm. Now, you don't ever want to lose sight of you know uh, what you're actually watching play out in front of you uh, because there is some feel to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an art, and you, you can't tie like— and you know, I go, uh, Marco Gonzalez is rolling through a lineup a couple times, and here we come the third time around. And I'm not looking at the radar gun when Marco Gonzalez is out there. I'm, I'm looking at how's he setting them up, how crisp is his stuff. Are they starting to, you know, to get on him a little bit? So that's kind of more of the art, and, and you're, you're taking into account, you know, what your eyes are seeing. Now, the science part of it is, like, you know, what the numbers say mm-hmm. and, and understanding that, you know, when it is the right time to pull a pitcher or bring the right relief pitcher in the game or pinch hit for somebody or put a certain lineup together a certain against another club. I mean, that's where the, the numbers and the evidence-based decision-making comes in. So uh, I'm continuing to learn. Um, to do that, you have to take you know input from a lot of different people um, and people that maybe don't have as much experience as I have but maybe look at the game a little bit differently uh, because I think everybody in our group has something to offer. Uh, but you got to listen to them all, yeah. and then ultimately you make you make your decisions, and you know you try to put your players in the best position to have success. 2020 was a learning experience for a lot of kids. Kyle Lewis is the American League yeah. Rookie of the Year. Dylan Moore came on and had a heck of a season. You had Justice Sheffield, Justin Dunn in the starting rotation. Looking back on 2020, what was the most important thing that you saw last year that's going to get you ready and be stronger this year? Yeah, we we have laid a foundation. That's the most important thing. And, and I, certainly our guys, some of our guys had great seasons. We have gold glove winners, rookie of the years, other young players stepped up. But ultimately what's going to be <laughs> really pay dividends for us is we've laid the foundation. We have a core yeah. group of players that we believe in. Uh, they have talent. We, we've seen that talent play out on the field. Uh, we love the makeup of this group and the fact that they're all wired a little bit differently, as they mm-hmm. should be. But they, they believe in what we're doing. They believe in the Mariners and our process. Um, now, since we have laid the foundation, now we can start building upon it. And that's what I'm looking for is, is us taking the next steps with this group, understanding there's young players still coming. Yeah. You know, We've got waves of talent still coming behind us, but uh, our organization is unbelievably healthy right now uh, as far as the, the young prospect capital that we have within. And that's not just us talking about it. It's people within the industry realizing what yeah. we've got. Um, and also the, the the flexibility we have down the road. Uh, when it does come, come time to maybe add a, a piece or a player or two that can kind of get us over the hump, you know, but uh, that time's coming very quickly, and it's exciting. I'm glad to be a part of it and, and leading this group because it is a fun group of players to be around every day. You know, it's been interesting to hear Marco talk this offseason, J.P. Crawford and some of your other veterans talk, and it's been interesting to hear their mindset when you hear Marco talk about winning and winning a division and and goals like that and as a leader of this group you have to be pretty thrilled about that being a focus for some of your veterans when when they're talking about winning ball games yeah i'm very excited yeah uh, i think i i made this comment uh, a few times i think you know the average teams uh average teams are are led by coaches i think the elite teams are led by the players and and i've talked to our players about you know, holding each other accountable. And, and ultimately, they have to be comfortable. They have to have that as part of their skill set. Yeah. Uh, we're getting to that point. 
and when you when you hear you know the Marcos and uh, I know how JP is wired and you know what Kyle Seeger has done you know for this group and then seeing you know what Evan and, and Kyle Lewis and Chef bring kind of as that next wave of players uh, Dylan Moore and then we have another group coming behind that and what you're doing is you're ultimately just raising the bar mm-hmm. this is the bar when you walk into our clubhouse this is what's expected you know we go out and play this is how we play we're not going to win every ball game. But that's the goal. Every night we line up, and every time I, I put that lineup card in at, at home plate, I expect to win the game. And all the decisions we make going forward and all of our actions, and you know, how does this help us win yeah. is how I'm looking at it. So um, I said earlier today, uh, talking to a group, that you know, every year I went to spring training as a player, I felt we were going to win. Somehow, you know, if, if, if I do this or if I can get this pitcher to do that, if I can get my if we can stay healthy, you know, all those if this young guy comes up and really gives us a shot in the arm, we got a chance to win. Now, and, and this year's no different. I really do believe we we've got a chance to do something special here and get it turned a little bit quicker than maybe some other people think we can. Visiting with the manager, Scott Service here on Hot Stove. We'll be back with Scott right after these messages. And welcome back to Hot Stove as we have a chance to visit uh, more with uh, Mariners manager Scott Service. And, Scott, you talked about laying that foundation, and it's there right now. Let's talk about the walls and the roof. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the young players, the next wave that's coming, then the wave after that, uh, the Jared Kelnicks of the world and Julio Rodriguez, Noelvi Marte, Logan Gilbert, uh, Cal Raleigh, and many, many others. Uh, tell the folks who's on the way and who you really want to take a look at this year at uh, spring training? Well, they're all going to get an opportunity to to show what they can do in spring training this year. There's no question about that. Now, you know, are they ready? Are they ready to be here in Seattle? And and, and are we ready to commit full-time, you know, uh, at bats or or innings to that particular player? Um, I've often said they'll let us know. Um, you know they are very talented. They're wired the right way. They some in some cases they do need a little bit more experience. You know a, yeah. at the minor league level, and you know that's the the sad thing about what happened last year. We were able to get 60 games in at the big leagues, but there was no games down below. Yeah. And it's it's hard to to make you know big adjustments or to evaluate sometimes correctly when you're just you're playing inter squads all the time. So um, I, I know those young players uh, they're chomping at the bit to get to spring training and, and to prove to everybody that they're ready. Uh, you know, and that's the decisions that we'll have to make as we go along. But uh, I, I'm looking to, to lay, lay eyes on what Logan Gilbert looks like, you know, this spring. Uh, I think he's, you know, always looking for, for young pitching to come in and really supplement. And, and Logan is, is wired so differently. He's uh, very competitive. He's very uh, routine orientated. Um, he does a lot of things that we love, and the fact that you know he's a six foot five and gets down the mound and he's got good stuff on top of it <laughs> that helps. You know, it really does. It, yeah. it does help. You know, we've talked about you know where Kelnick's at, where Julio's at. Um, you know, Marte, Cal Raleigh's a guy. You know, if we got to find out, you know, if we have an injury or something happens with one of our catchers, can Cal Raleigh come in and, and fill a void? Is he ready to do that yet? Uh, you know, from the outside, you would say yes, but let's see how it plays out on the field. Um, the one thing that uh, there is no, like, you know, uh, set recipe or anything you just go to with players. They're all a little bit different. Yeah. And, and some guys, it clicks a little bit sooner than you think. Some guys, it takes just a little bit longer than you think. Um, but I think we've demonstrated the fact that we are committed to young players. Um, I love the energy, the excitement, the newness that they bring to it. Um, and this group has so full of personality. Uh, that's what I, I'm excited to get our fans back in the stands because I think once our yeah. fans, and it's different watching it on TV than when you're sitting here at T-Mobile right. Ballpark. You get a sense for how players move and how they interact with each other. And, you know, you just get a feel for their body language and stuff like that. And that's how you 
connect with players. Uh, but getting our fans in the stands so they can really see these young guys play out is I'm super excited about it. There will be a buzz around this ballpark we haven't seen in a while. Um, and, and our guys really thrive off that as well. I think there's ramifications from last year, particularly when it comes to starting pitching, probably for the next couple of years, uh, just in terms of there were so many innings lost, whether you're a veteran like Marco who went 60-plus or a young pitcher that didn't really pitch in a competitive game. How do you think about that going into a season like this in terms of keeping the innings, keeping the jump not as huge for some of your pitchers and that challenge moving forward? Yeah, it's uncharted water. Yeah. We've never done this before. So uh, you have to be open to, to looking at all different ways to, to kind of handle the situation. The one thing that is everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So every team is dealing with it. I think the one thing that we have shown since we've been here with the Mariners is we're not afraid to step out and, and maybe be open-minded and try some different things. Um, that's, you know, we sat down last year at the beginning when we came back for the 60 game season, realizing that it was best for us to go to a six man rotation. It is the best thing for us going forward into 2021 based on the the makeup of our roster, mm-hmm. trying to keep everybody healthy. And I think the key to the 2021 season for any team is the depth of your pitching, starting pitching and bullpen. Do you have enough guys? Because there are going to be some guys who, who you know, maybe go down with injury or get a little soggy and they need a two or three week break. You've got to have depth. You know, our depth is, is going to be young, sometimes inexperienced. But uh, I've often said, too, that, you know, we're not to spring training yet and the season hasn't started yet. And, and knowing Jerry in the front office, you know, you're still turning over all the rocks and you're looking at different yeah. free agents and how different people can come in and help you and help supplement the talent we have and on the field as well as in the clubhouse. So, um, you know, it's going to be a situation where you do need to be creative. You need to be open minded to different things. But I look at it, everybody's dealing with the same situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like our talent. Uh, I think we'll be just fine as far as controlling the workload and making sure our guys are healthy. That's the key. You want to get off yeah. to a good start. You want to put yourself in a position where August and September, those games are really meaningful. But to do that, we're going to need to stay healthy. Uh, and that's all of our starters, all you know, our bullpen guys. Um, and, and understand that some things you just can't control. But staying healthy is going to be paramount for anybody this year. Skip, in the second hour of the show tonight, we're going to visit with one of your young starting pitchers, Justin Dunn. And looking at his season last year, four and one, ten starts. But he had a stretch there of three starts where he six scoreless innings, one hit against the Rangers. Next start, six scoreless innings, one hit against the Angels. Next start, six innings, worked out of trouble, won that game. What did you see out of Justin Dunn, and what, what does he need to do to take that next step to continue his maturation process? Coming into the season, um, you know, when we got back after summer camp, uh, you know, under, you know, we understood that there was going to be some of our young guys that were going to take a huge step forward. Other guys were going to kind of, you know, I guess got to muddle along sure. the way, so to speak, be a little bit inconsistent. And, and that's kind of where I saw uh, Justin Dunn. I think he did have some really good starts. He had great results. Um, we're trying to get him to tighten up his process a little bit and how he's getting to those results. And for, for Justin, it really it's, it's driven by uh, being aware of the count, staying ahead in the count. When he's ahead in the count, all of his pitches seem to work. He's much crisper. When maybe certain nights he doesn't feel like he's got his best fastball, um, at times he would get a little tentative, knowing that I can't just throw this over the middle of the plate. I have to be perfect. I have to be fine on the edges. And then you start getting behind in the count. So controlling the count is key for all young pitchers, especially uh, Justin Dunn. There's no question. I do know, uh, you know, again, we sit down with all of our players at the end of the year. We were very clear and 
uh, giving him really uh, good direction and what we thought he needed to, to work on this offseason. Um, he's in Arizona right now. He's at our complex. Uh, he's working with our guys down there. And, you know, he's really serious uh, about being more consistent. And I think we've given him a good outline on and our feeling how he needs to go about doing that. And it really starts, you know, in the offseason, you know, kind of getting his body in a little bit different shape. Uh, hopefully that translates a little bit crisper stuff on the mound when he's throwing and how his body works down the mound. And, again, you, you try to get just 1% or 2% better in these areas, and hopefully it pays off big time at the end. Skip, I was doing some organizational stuff at home last week, and I was going through some boxes, and I found something that I was, I'm really anxious to ask you about. Boy. And it's my oh, 1988 <laughs> Scott Service Team USA baseball wow. card Ooh, from the wow. 88 Olympic team. I was thrilled to find this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that actually I think was the first Topps card I ever had. Out. Yeah, this You're one. A kid, nice. They, they put uh, a set out. It was a heck of a team. Um, it was a great team. Great I mean, Robin Ventura wow. and Jim Abbott and Tino Martinez, Tino a gold medal team. team. Yes, uh, we had the opportunity to play in the Olympics over in Seoul, Korea, uh, back in 1988. Uh, we were all 21 years old at the time. We'd just been drafted. Uh, back then, they, they, you know, we were just amateur players. The, the pro guys were not playing uh, in the Olympics. So uh, we all kind of you know, uh, put our career, uh, professional careers on hold, and we went through that entire summer. Uh, it was a heck of a summer, a heck of an experience. Played in about 25 different cities in 28 wow. days. Uh, in the States, it was kind of a barnstorming tour. And then, then we went over and played in uh, Italy for about two weeks in the World Championships. And it, culminated over in Korea in the Olympics and, and winning a gold medal. So uh, unbelievable experience. Uh, for me, it, it really jump-started my career once I got into pro ball because I was playing with players. I think it were seven first-round picks on that team. And I was catching you know pitchers at such an elite level. I was able to jump right into double-A mm. my first pro year and then in the big leagues another year and a half after that. So uh, it was huge for me. And I didn't go to one of the big powerhouse colleges either you know going to Creighton uh, an opportunity to play an Olympic or USA teams for a couple summers and that that really helped me uh, confidence wise and exposure wise how has growing up through the minor leagues and and uh, for a young player in the big leagues changed now than than when you were growing up yeah. when you were that kid yeah. you know right out of Creighton that's a great question Riz. player development has changed so much and and how we take care of players I go, I go back to my days in, in playing in the minor leagues, which you look back, and I, I guess it is a while ago, but you know, there was no post-game spreads. We didn't care. It <laughs> was like you get a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they didn't care what the players ate or how they slept or you know the, the workloads that they were going through. At times, it was just like survival of the fittest. Who yeah. can make it through? Yeah. <laughs> who can make it through the minor leagues? Who can stay healthy, stay on the field? And, you know, I was a catcher, and they'll say, oh, if you're a catcher, you got a great chance to make it to the big leagues, but you got to stay healthy. And you got to stay on the field and continue your growth. And for me, it also meant going to winter ball for a couple of years. I played mm -hmm. in the Dominican Republic one year. I played in Venezuela one year, which really, you know, sped up my learning curve in the pro game. So yeah. uh, it really was survival of fitness. But nowadays, between the programs that are in place, the strength and conditioning programs and what we give our players in the offseason to focus on and, and hold them accountable during the season, the, the mental skills programs. I had never been exposed to mental skills and what they could do to my game until I got to the big league level and was really struggling, and I needed help. Yeah. Uh, now it's it's something that we have... You know, two guys who, who work in our minor leagues and develop relationships with our players as they're transitioning from the, the, the college, you know, all-conference, all-star player to now you're just one of the guys. Yeah. 
You know, how do you establish yourself again and, and what goes into the mental side of the game? Because there's so much failure involved in our game. We've got to keep kids wanting to get better and understanding right. that that's part of it. So um, it has changed so much in, in, in a good way. It really has. I think organizations understand the value of it and not just, you know, signing a kid and now you give him a big signing bonus, but you got to take care of him. You got to, you know, help him, nurture him uh, along the way. And then, you know, also I think we do a great job of, not just the first or second round picks, but you know the guys that are that are picked in the twelfth round or the twenty third round and things like that. Those guys are in the same programs. They're getting the yeah. same post game meals and they're getting mm. treated the same by the strength and conditioning people and the mental skills. So along the way, you're developing some of those players, and those are kind of the nice surprises that show yeah. up and contribute to your organization. Ty France, a thirty fourth round pick. Exactly. They come from everywhere. Along those lines. Is there anything, I don't know, a piece of information, analytics, anything that as a player you were like, ah, I wish I yeah. would have had that. I wish I would have known that when I was playing. It's a great question. I never understood the true value of controlling the strike zone as a player. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think and if I had to change things or do things a little bit differently um, as a player, I, had, I didn't have great power, but I had enough to hit a few home runs once yeah. I figured out how to hit a little bit at the big league level. If I and, and for me, I hated to strike out. It just was the ultimate forever since I was in Little League or whatever. So I was never a big strikeout guy. I think if I had anything to change, I probably would have traded in a few strikeouts mm -hmm. if it would have meant maybe a few more extra base hits a few, and a few more balls over mm -hmm. the fence. But uh, for me, the biggest thing is, is if I would have had an understanding of – the value of controlling the strike zone and just getting on base, taking your walk. Mm. I think that's, uh, I, I revert back to a conversation I had with Kyle Lewis towards the end of the year, um, standing in, I think we were in Dodger Stadium one day in BP and just checking in with him. How's it going? And we started up a conversation and he says, I, I get it. I said, what do you get? He goes, one for three is a lot better than one for four. I just got to take my walk when they, mm. give, when they mm -hmm. give it to me. Yeah. When they give it to you, take it. Yeah. And I said, you got it, young man. Yeah. I said, that's that wow. mentality. You're not looking for a walk when he goes up there. Right. But when they're going to give it to you, take it. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, if you have that mindset, and, and we've seen Kyle do that, mm -hmm. controlling the strikes on lay off the tough pitches, because they're going to start pitching you tough, dude. <laughs> You're having a good year. <laughs> yeah. You're starting to notice. Yeah. You know, and, and that's going to continue this next year. But understanding the value and what you do for your team if you can move the line. Sometimes it's just yeah. you got to put your bat down and walk to first when they give it to you. Exactly. Never give up in at bat. Yeah. Those are the good hitters. Skip, um, and then also in the next hour, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame career of Henry Aaron, who passed oh, wow. away, sadly, uh, on Friday morning at the age of 86. Uh, you spent a lot of time in the National League as a player and now managing in the big leagues. Did your paths ever cross with uh, Hank Aaron? I actually I saw Hank Aaron play. Um, early, you know, I grew up in the Midwest in Wisconsin. I was a Brewers fan. At late in his career, uh, you know, he started with the Braves in Milwaukee and obviously went to Atlanta, but he came back to Milwaukee as a brewer. Yeah. And he was a DH there. I think it was in the mid-70s, uh, 75, 76, 75 something like 76, that. Yeah. Um, did have the opportunity to see him play, um, which I thought was just, you know, unbelievable. It's Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, did meet him one time uh, through my uh, travels through Atlanta. Uh, and it's like, you know, you meet Willie Mays, you, you meet Hank Aaron, you meet those types, and it's... You know, that little kid in you, you kind of yeah. go back into that shell. And it's great. That's the beauty of our game is, you know, when you grow up and you idolize yeah. players and, and now understanding, you know, everything that's been brought to light and, and what Hank Aaron went through, you know, as he was chasing uh, the record and, and the pressures and, you know, all the things that uh, our society threw at him and how he handled it. And I mean, 
I, I think it, it's been said multiple times, but unbelievably great player. And you look at the stats, and, the, and the, it's, it's just incredible what he did throughout his career. But better person than player, yeah. I think, has been said often about Hank Aaron. And that certainly, you know, that, that resonates uh, with me because, you know, you don't know that when you're up close to him. But I think, you know, as things played out and as they continue to play out in our society, what he was able to, to hand, how he was able to handle things and, and go through it um, as classy as he, as he did is, is awesome. And it's a testament to, to his, his makeup. I don't know how he did it, but I'm glad that he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip, and he was signed by the Boston Braves, the Boston Braves, and he started his pro career in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yes, he did. I saw that the other day, yeah. and I have been to Eau You're Claire. You're a Wisconsin kid. And, and been to that ballpark before. It's pretty cool. They come from everywhere. You never know. <laughs> exactly. Skip, thanks so much for joining us. Can't wait to see you and everybody else down in Peoria, Arizona, here in the next few weeks as we get ready for spring training 2021. Thanks for stopping by. I look forward to it, Riz. I know we've got about 200 pregame shows ahead yes. of us. <laughs> so and you do such a great job. Yeah. I always look forward to it. No, buddy. I know. You, you come ready to roll, and we'll have plenty to talk about this spring for sure. We're going to have a lot of fun. Mariner Manager Scott Service here in Hot Stove, and we'll be back with more right after these messages. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss by Simmons for strike three, and that's it for Simmons and the Angels in the bottom of the fifth inning. And what an afternoon for Justin Dunn and for Justin that is strikeout number four on the day. Everybody, the Mariners Virtual Baseball Bash is the perfect event to get you geared up for baseball season. Join media sessions, Q&As, social media takeovers, games, and more from now through Saturday. 60 Mariners, 60 events, one ultimate virtual baseball party. Visit Mariners.com slash baseball bash for the full schedule and details. And again, welcome back to Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. Even though it was only 60 games, the 2020 season was a big learning experience for a lot of the Mariners' young players, and one of those was Mariners starting pitcher Justin Dunn. Ten starts last season. Justin went 4-1, and one, and this year he looks to make a big impact in the starting rotation during the 2021 season. Ladies and gentlemen, Mariners starting pitcher Justin Dunn. How you doing, kid? How's your offseason been? I'm good. I'm good. Better now that I'm talking to you. How you guys doing? Uh, we're doing fine. Can't wait to get down to spring training. Justin, you, you yes, made sir. the jump from the minor leagues in, in the fall and September of 2019. What was it like from going to AA Arkansas where you had a lot of talent on that ball club and you finally got to the big leagues? It was fun. Um, it was a lot of fun, especially to get to share the opportunity in the moment with Kyle and Donnie and Art. After spending a whole season with them, it was, it was great to get up and, one, fulfill a childhood dream. And then to uh, get a taste of what it was like to play at that level and, and be a part of an organization that um, is heading in the right direction and, and getting the reps that it takes to hopefully get us going in the right direction and get us where we want to be. Clearly a shortened season last year, but what did you learn about yourself going through any of your first full campaign at this level? Um, I could take a punch a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I learned that um, my stuff plays. When, when I'm on the plate, my stuff plays. And, um, so the biggest thing is just commanding the baseball. That's that's been my big focus this off season, um, getting the velocity to tick back up and, and getting my stuff on the plate because I saw towards the end of that shortened stint last year that when I was on the plate and um, commanding the baseball, I was able to go deeper in games, get some outs, and, and pick up a couple wins along the way. So if I can simplify the outing and, and just simply command the baseball, I think I'll have some better results personally and it will lead to some better team results as well. Justin, you had a good run there uh, during the course of the 2020 season. I want to go to your third start of the year last year against the Texas Rangers. You had mm-hmm. a, a rough bottom of the first inning. You had a long bottom of the mm-hmm. third and a long bottom of the sixth inning. But you worked out of a jam. You hung in there, kid. 
and win six innings to pick up your first win of the season. What did you learn about yourself that night against the Texas Rangers? Um, I think it was the ability. That was kind of the start of learning how to bear down and make a pitch when I needed to. Um, and, and the big thing was kind of learning how to, to save energy and um, credit to Marco and Gravy at that point in Taiwan uh, for teaching me kind of how to step off and compose yourself and, and save energy and really just the, the positive self-talk you need to have and, and get yourself to be able to make a pitch when that time comes and um, trusting your defense and a lot of credit to Nola and JP made a couple big plays and then obviously our lineup for kind of breaking it open and, and giving us some wiggle room that day was was huge. Going through last year, has that changed how you get ready for this upcoming season? Is there anything you're doing differently now during this off season than in the past? No, honestly, honestly, it's uh, it's kind of a refresher. You get a little longer off season. Mm. Um, I feel a little fresher. I'm not spending as much time getting my body back to normal from the wear and tear of a long season. Um, so I was able to kind of get right back into the weight room. Um, get to putting some weight on the bar, getting stronger. Um, so I'm really happy with the way things have been going and I'm uh, really excited to, to get back out here and see all the hard work pay off. Justin, you had uh, a nice, nice run there of three consecutive starts where you were one of the best, uh, I think, in the league at that point in the season. Start number five of the year was one of your best starts of the year. You went six scoreless innings against the Rangers and gave up only one hit. You retired the first 11 hitters in a row, 15 of 17 batters that you faced in that game. In your very next start against the Angels, you went six innings, shut out baseball again, giving up only one hit again, and you won that ball game two to one against the Angels. Then in your next start, you won four to three again against the Rangers. That's three starts in a row, three wins, only six hits allowed. I think you only gave up a couple of runs in that uh, third start during that run. How were you able to put together a run run of starts like that? Yeah, that that whole run kind of started after the Dodger outing. Um, and you look at that outing on paper, and um, it was probably the worst outing I've ever had in my life, getting hit in the ribs and then getting beat up a little bit there. But that outing led to some conversations that were had with me, Woody, Skip, um, our catchers, and even the veteran pitchers that we had on the staff at the time, Marco, Ty, and Gravy, and just kind of got back to who I am, being Justin and not being scared to pitch up here. Um, and understanding that I'm good enough as myself. Um, so got back into my pre-start routines, um, did my scouting reports the way I used to, and um, really just went on went into each game with the confidence and self-confidence of, I know what I want to do, now I just have to go execute it. And then, mm-hmm. like I said at the beginning of the call, just getting my stuff on the plate, um, challenging guys from pitch one to whenever Skip comes to take the ball out of my hands. Um, and I felt like those three starts right there were the best I had done it in a really long time. You know, on the show the last couple of weeks, we've really enjoyed it. We talked to Marco Gonzalez and, and Justice Sheffield, and they've kind of talked about the relationship that all of the starting pitchers have. Uh, when you think about your teammates, uh, your star- the starters out there, what do you think about in terms of the relationship? I think we're super close. Um, I think Marco and, and Graveman, Graveman and Ty really started it at the beginning of the year of kind of taking Chef and I and you say and, and showing that, the team is going to go as far as we go as starting pitchers. We start the game, and ideally we try to finish it. If not, we turn it over to the guys in the back who we have a really good bullpen. So um, it, we set the tempo. We set the tone for every game. So if we come out firing, um, the team's going to come out firing with us. So for that to happen, we have to, one, have each other's back, and we have to be at our best at all times. Um, and, and they kind of started that whole relationship. And 
throughout the years we got or throughout the season we got super close and um even now this off season we have a big starter group text and we talk almost once or twice a week and checking in to make sure everybody's working so um again credit to marco gravy and, and ty who's not with us right now but um they were the start of all that you know, talking about uh, the addition of Kendall Graveman prior to last year and, and Taiwan Walker a couple of years ago, it was a five-man rotation. But then here comes Kendall and Taiwan Walker. And, and the Mariners wanted to see you pitch and Justin uh, Justice Sheffield as well. And then you go to the six-man rotation where you had the opportunity to make those 10 starts along with Justice Sheffield. How did the six-man rotation, Justin, help you out last season? I loved it. Um, I, it. One gives you an extra day of rest. Um, and that's one thing I learned that pitching up there and, and getting yourself in, in trouble, you make a lot of high pressure pitches and your arm tends to drag a little bit if you have a rough day. Um, so that extra day of rest is huge first and foremost. And then I was able to get off the mound two times in between um, starts. So those three starts that we talked about earlier, that was kind of the big thing. I had two days of work in between to really lock in, lock things in, get my game plans locked in and just go out and pitch on the sixth day. So for me, I loved it. Um, I think a lot of guys, I think almost everybody really liked it, um, and I think we had some good results with it. Do you have a favorite moment in the big leagues so far? I think Marco's game in L.A., his CG was uh-huh. fun to watch. Um, every single game Kyle Lewis touched the field last year was fun. Um, so uh, any moment I have up here, really, like I said, this is my childhood dream. So any any time I have on a field, on a big league field, and a big league uniform is my favorite. Tell us about uh, those childhood dreams and, and growing up in the Northeast. Uh, who was your favorite team and favorite player? And now you're wearing a big league uniform and and uh, inspirational to a lot of you know kids up here in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, sir. Uh, so growing up in New York, my dad kind of forced me to be a Yankee fan. So I grew up in the core four. Forced you. Um, Jeter was, he, he forced me. I didn't, I was not allowed. Um, my brother tried to rebel and bought a Red Sox hat. He would throw them away every time he'd buy them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we didn't, re- we didn't have a choice. We did not have a choice. Um, but I grew up in the core four. So Jeter, Mariano, Bernie, Jorge, those are my guys. Um, my favorite pitchers to watch were Pedro and El Duque and Roger Clements. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, there weren't really many big leaguers that came out of Long Island. So, um, I just wanted to try to be one of the first and it was something I loved and, um, something I really just pushed myself towards, um, tried not to let people doubt me and, and get me off my track and, I really don't have any other backup plan, so this is what I've wanted to do for a long time. Speaking of pitchers to watch, when you watch Marco, and I know you're you're different pitchers, you have some things in common, but you're different in a lot of ways. But are there things that you look at Marco and and learn from or take away from what he does? Yeah, I think first and foremost, Marco is the epitome of an ace. Um, every time he touches the ball, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get six or seven um, quality innings. He's going to give us a chance to win every time he touches the ball. Um, but the stuff that I like more about watching Marco is his work in between that you guys can't really see and his attention to detail. And, um, Woody was, uh, I was fortunate enough to sit in on one of his starter meetings with Woody before he started and to be able to hear his game plan and and verbalize it and then sit down and watch it be executed, um, was pretty special to watch. It was actually the game in LA, which is why it was one of my favorites. Um, but he is, he's just a workhorse. He's very detail-oriented, and then he's also a great veteran presence and grab you and work with you and, and also pick you up when you're down, but also encourage you to do more at the same time. Visiting with Mariners starting pitcher Justin Dunn. Justin, 
Uh, you, one of your best friends on this ball club is another young pitcher, Justice Sheffield, that we talked about. Your careers are paralleling one another. You followed him uh, after he pitched. You pitched. What was it like being in the rotation all season long with Justice, and, and how much did you push one another all year long? Um, it's, anytime you can be around him, it's fun. You guys know that, so he always keeps you laughing. Um, but baseball-wise, it, it was good. I, we somehow seem to go through things at the same time, so it's always good to have each other there and bounce ideas off each other and go through our thought process. We think on a similar wavelength, um, and then to go out and watch him pitch every day, it was, um, it was fun to watch and extremely exciting to see him have the success he had last year. And like I said, yeah, silently, it would push me to go out and compete with him, whether he knew it or not. I was trying to either one-up him or do just as good. Um, nobody, nobody wants to to be the one and make a bad turn in the rotation. So when you got five guys in front of you that are going out making quality starts, you want to do your best, whether it's Chef, you say Gravy, Ty, or Marco. Um, it's always good to go out and watch guys do well before you. Well, young man, it was a lot of fun watching you pitch last year, four and one on those ten starts. You had that great run in the middle of the season. I can't wait to see you at spring training and uh, see what you guys are going to do here in 2021. It's going to be a fun year, buddy. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Rick. Mariners uh, pitcher Justin Dunn. Uh, thanking Justin here on uh, Hot Stove. I'm looking forward to uh, getting down to spring training into the sunshine. Thank you, buddy. Mariners pitcher Justin Dunn. We're going to be back with more on Hot Stove right after this timeout. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. The sellout crowd is cheering. Henry Aaron, the home run king of all time. 7:15, And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove on this uh, Tuesday evening. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And we have with us uh, Dave Sims and Shannon Dreyer. And uh, folks, uh, over the past three, four weeks, it's been a really a tough time in, in Major League Baseball. We've lost so many of our heroes. Uh, and recently, over the last few days, uh, one of the greatest players in the game of baseball passed away at the age of 86, Henry Aaron. Uh, the greatest home run hitter of all time still in my mind with 755 home runs. He was so consistent, 23 years, all with the Braves organization in Milwaukee and also Atlanta. And uh, looking back on, on Hank Aaron's career, he was the one of the best who ever played the game of baseball and Dave Sims and Gary Hill and, and Shannon. Uh, he left really an impact, not only on the game, but what he meant to, uh, you know, social injustice and what he went through, especially when the club moved to Atlanta, chasing down Babe Ruth's record. What do you guys remember most about Henry Aaron? Well, Rick, uh, you and I are about the same age. And, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, watching National League Baseball. So I had the pleasure of seeing the hammer when that, when they would come through Philly. And I, I got I keep meaning to look it up, but I, in my mind's eye, he must have hit 350 against the Phillies. <laughs> I mean, he must he have probably hit, did. He probably hit about 600 runners in scoring position. I mean, it, the guy was just unbelievable. And, and watching uh, interviews that he had done over the years, and even some recently, uh, just a graceful man who 
withstood tremendous, tremendous pressure, particularly coming down to late 73 and end of 74 with the record at hand. Yeah. And talking about millions of pieces of mail that he got hate mail too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. Un- un- and yet, you know, he continued to perform at a very high level. And I heard Leo Mazzoni today on, on TV with Harold and Matt, and they were talking, and, and he was talking about how gracious and smart a baseball guy Henry was in terms of what he did for Leo as a pitching coach and how he could, and what he anticipated pitchers were going to do, his, his ability to break things down. And what a great job having a good eye for talent when he was running the Braves uh, uh, farm system. Uh, the one real quick, the one story, um, I heard um, he, that Hank talked about that he always sat on a curveball because nobody could ever get the fastball by him. I mean, that's completely 180 what everybody else does. Exactly. You, see, you know, look for Hank Eric. Yeah. Yeah. curve. Yeah. But they always talk, he talked about his hands. Like, I had a pretty big hand, and, and his, they engulfed me at that one time I met him. I only had one personal interaction with him, but just a wonderful guy and, and a tremendous, tremendous baseball player and a wonderful American. Gary, uh, you know the numbers in this game of baseball as well as anybody. I mean, the the 755 home runs, second most in baseball behind Barry Bonds. The RBI's number one, well over 3,700 hits. You take away the 755 home runs, he still had over 3,000 hits. He was a great hitter with power. Gary, what do the numbers say about Henry Aaron? Well, it's funny when you think about his career, I think you can make the argument that he's actually an underrated player, which is this thing to say (laughs) talking about Hank Aaron, but you made the point. I mean, you take away his home runs. He still has 3000 hits. You he's got the most famous home run. I would argue in baseball history. Uh, He had the home run record for a long time. And part of me feels like he is known as a home run hitter for good reason, but I think what gets overlooked is what a great hitter he was. I mean, you look at the batting average, you look at the on-base percentage, the runs scored. You look at the gold gloves. He was a complete player and one of the best of all time. When I think about Hank Aaron, you know, I I think about in this game, we've got all-stars. We've got superstars and hall of famers. But for me, there's like an upper echelon. There's that next level of guy and yeah. that's where Hank Aaron lives. That's where Jackie Robinson lives. That's where Roberto Clemente lives. Not only the best of the best that's ever played on the field, but the best of the best off the field as well. And that is where Hank Aaron belongs in my mind. Exactly. There's about a handful of guys that uh, were so great that they could play above this league and this league being major league baseball where the best of the best, but you know, he was in a group Shannon. You know, when Gary talks about what a complete hitter he was, I think that is something that sometimes gets lost in the home run hitters because of what we saw more recently with the McGuire and the Sosa chases and and, and things like that. And when you go back and you look at the numbers and you see not only did he have home run, but he still holds the record for runs batted in and total bases. And to me, when I look at that, it it came to mind. I'm like, was he Edgar with more home runs? I mean, to put up Mm -hmm. that many in those kinds of numbers – uh, it, it just it illustrated what I couldn't see because I really wasn't watching baseball back then. I was <laughs> little. Um, it, it really it better told the story of what he did on the field. But the thing that really jumped out at me and told me a little bit more about who he was, 
Because anytime you talk to Ken Griffey Jr. about the best players in the history of the game, Hank's name was either number one or number two or number three when he, he brought up best players. And my mind immediately went to Junior when the news came down. I knew that that was something that he would be crushed by that. This is somebody who has been very big in Ken Griffey Jr.'s uh, life but uh, and so many others. I remember when we were at the Hall of Fame, he had the biggest buzz. Hank Aaron being there had the biggest buzz. There were whispers, he's here, he's here. And I remember him, you know, them having to help him down to the stage, but uh, he is the one that everybody else looked up to. Here's something to wrap your minds around for the fans. He played 23 years in the major leagues. He was an all-star 25 times because of the late 50s and early 60s, about four-year period there, they played two all-star games to help raise money, more money into the players' pool for uh, the pension when the pension really started to get going. So that's really something. I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Aaron uh, just on a few occasions, but I've told this story with you a number of times. When I was with the Detroit Tigers, Hank was in town. And before a ball game, I had a chance to catch up to him and introduce myself and ask him. I said, uh, Mr. Aaron, if you have an opportunity, would you like to come up to the booth and spend some time with me on the radio? And if you recall at old Tiger Stadium, that was a really small booth, fit only two people you know, side by side. And he said, sure, I'll come up. So I went up to the booth, got ready for the pregame show and the game. And I really didn't think that Mr. Aaron would come up, but sure enough, he did. So about the fourth inning, he came in and sat down and man, I was a kid again. I was nervous. Here's one of the greatest players. One of my heroes growing up as a kid, I had a chance to watch him and Frank Robinson and Ernie Banks and Willie Mays. And here's Henry Aaron sitting next to me. We started a conversation. So we're talking about his career. We talked about, hey, what was it like to hit number 715? I'll never forget his response. He said, relief. He said, thank God it's over. That was his quote because of the hate mail and the pressure that he got trying to chase down Babe Ruth and finally hit the home run off of Val Downing for number 715. But then we continued with the conversation. And I asked him, as I do pretty much everybody I talked to that's, that had a a good career in the big leagues or like Frank Hank Aaron, a great career. I said, who'd you hit your first home run off of? Everybody remembers their first home run. And he went, Oh man, my first home run. Oh man, little, little left-hander. And I said, and then I felt bad because I just said, everybody remembers their first home run. So I said, Hank, you hit 755 home runs. Can't remember all of them. So we continued with the conversation as the game went along and I could tell he wasn't quite there because he was still thinking about who he hit his first home run off of. And about four minutes later, I said, there's a ground ball, the short travel to his right back hands, long throw to first and time. And he got him. And all of a sudden there was a little lull and he goes, Vic Rashi. And he, <laughs> he scared the heck out of me. He yelled, Vic Rashi. I said, Vic Rashi. He said, my first home run. I hit my first home run off of Vic Rashi. And it was, it was killing him. He couldn't remember. Finally remembered. He scared the heck out of me. But here I am with one of the greatest ever put on a, a major league uniform. And uh, it was a real thrill because I, once again, all my baseball cards came to life when I was a kid. It was, it was just a joy to be with him. Yeah, I had one interaction with him at WNBC Radio, 30 Rock here in New York. And uh, Letterman's doing a show. He's still at NBC. It's about 86, 87. And uh, you know, I'm at, at the station at 3.34 o'clock and in-house router, you see Henry Aaron's going to be a guest. 
So 5.30, they start taping. I go from second floor up to the sixth floor. I see uh, the attendant in the hallway there. I said, where is uh, Mr. Aaron likely to come out of after he finishes the show? He's right behind me. So I go and I, I, I'm like a sentinel at this, at this door waiting for him to come out. Comes out, I introduce myself, Mr. N. My name's Dave. My name's Dave Sims. I do a talk show downstairs. Would love if you give me five minutes and come down. I said, Oh, sure, Dave. I'm in the elevator. I'm looking. I'm like, man, I'm gonna ride. I'm riding an elevator with Henry Aaron. We get down to the station on the second floor. Jaws drop as we walk through the door. I'm like, Are you kidding me? Henry Aaron? Oh my God. He proceeded <laughs> to give me 25 minutes of radio gold. Oh man. Remember the legends. You know, let them live in your mind, in your heart, and uh, they'll stay there forever. And uh, Henry Aaron is going to stay in our hearts and our minds, you know, forever. What a, what a sad day for the game of baseball with the loss of Henry Aaron at the age of 86. Coming up next, we're going to visit with a talented young outfielder by the name of Taylor Trammell. The Mariners picked him up in a big trade with the San Diego Padres last year. Taylor is one of the top young prospects in all of baseball, and he's among the bevy of to young, talented outfielders right now in the Mariners organization. We're going to be back and visit with Taylor Trammell as Hot Stove continues after these messages. Blue has a very slow, easy, deceiving motion. But when he lets that ball go, it is something else again. A rising fastball. Another one hit high and deep. Frank Robinson goes back 370 feet away, looks up, it's in the upper deck, and it's three to nothing. And Hank Aaron had no extra base hits until right now in his all-star career hits a home run to make it three to nothing the national league and by the blue has been touched up for three runs two of them homers and again welcome back to hot stove tonight and this reminder is part of the mariners virtual baseball bash fans are invited to visit the mariners team stores for their january sales save up to 75 percent off of select caps apparel and novelties for the whole family Plus, score Nike on-field gear for 25% off. Stop by any of the four convenient Mariners Team Store locations before February 1st to take advantage. And again, welcome back. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill. And now we have a chance to visit with one of the bright young stars in the Mariners organization, outfielder Taylor Trammell. The Mariners picked up Taylor from the Padres during the 2020 season last year, along with three other young players. Taylor, welcome to the show. Where are you spending the offseason, and how excited are you to getting down to spring training and get ready for 2021? Yeah, so I'm right now, uh, well, first of all, Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's a blast. I'm excited to be here. Uh, but right now, I'm in uh, I'm in Georgia right now, uh, just preparing for the season, uh, praying that we start on time and that we get to go out to Arizona. Uh, I do know that we can't go out there a little bit early. Usually, I would be uh, usually I would be out here right now, out in Arizona. But you know, because of uh, COVID nineteen, I'm not allowed to. Uh, so I get out there probably about next month, around this time, uh, next month. And, you know, I'm excited to just be out there. Uh, I hope, I don't know how we're going to do with fans. I just hope that we get to be with the fans this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't know too much about that, but I'm just excited to meet new people, uh, especially with this, within this organization. I'm excited to be out there. Hey, I hear congratulations are in order. You're engaged. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm excited. That's my, that's my girl, my boo. So I'm excited. Uh, it would have, you know, for me, it would have been a little bit earlier, but, you know, she was in college and uh, I was just waiting for her to graduate so that we could be a little bit more uh, 
hold, we could be a little bit more stable and stuff like that. But I'm just excited it fell through. It was honestly, it was. I'm surprised that people kept the surprise in order. Um, and it was honestly, it was just a great day overall. All right, buddy. I gotta ask you, how did you pop the question and where? <laughs> okay, so there's this place out in uh, Atlanta. Uh, it's called the Swan House, and it's a beautiful house. Uh, it's a mansion. It's huge, and there's a courtyard in it. So from the courtyard, there's a view of the house. So my best friend, uh, she actually um, found the place. We uh, had kept it a secret. Um, so we went there. Uh, she kept calling me, like, to see where the whole – it's a long story, but uh, we came down the steps. We had a red carpet, um, a like pictures of us, and everybody asked me like, "Was I nervous?" I wasn't nervous. I knew she was gonna say yes, but <laughs> when my foot started, when my foot started to go back as like I'm kneeling, that's when I kind of was like, "Oh crap!" Like <laughs> this is for real. Like I can't, I can't go back. You know, yeah, this is gonna and happen. So that was a. Uh, yeah, I was like, this is going to happen. Like, this is for real. Like, I'm, like, I I can't, like, not say, like, I can't get back up. Like, I'm already in it. So I was very excited. I was very happy. Uh, she's an amazing girl. Um, and I'm just so happy to call her my fiance and my oh. future wife at this point. So I'm excited. Taylor, we just spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about one of the real legends of this game and Hank Aaron. I know you had a chance to meet Hank Aaron uh, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Tell us a story again about meeting one of the greatest there's ever been. Oh, man. Okay, so this was, well, first of all, um, my condolences to his family and his friends and everybody that was close to him uh, and everybody around the baseball community that knew him. Um, it, this hurt a lot um, simply because I'm from Georgia um, and I'm from um I'm from outside of Atlanta, but he he meant a lot to a lot of uh, a lot of black players. Um, not even just a lot of black. He meant a lot to everybody in Atlanta. Um, and just the way that looking at him, uh, what he went through in his career, um, how he handled a lot of the adversity that he went through, uh, from being obviously the best player on the field for 20-some years, 20-odd or 21 years, I'm pretty sure it was. Just seeing him uh, deal with all that stuff um, on and off the field uh, when I know, you know, he could have handled it a completely different way. And sometimes he probably did. He's human. And seeing him, how he handled it, uh, how he was to people, how he was to me when I first met him, I mean, I – I look at him and I'm like, I, I wish I could just be like how he was just a, like a small bit of that. And it hurt a lot when I found out I was working out and somebody said, Hey, Hank Aaron passed away. And I just like, no, no chance. I was like, no, this can't, yeah. this can't be it. And the one, I'll tell you this little tidbit story. Um, the first time I met him, I was uh, at a pre-draft workout with the Braves and you know, all the, their, front office guys were there and I didn't know that he was there. And so we're leaving. I'm with my granny and my mom. And so, you know, 
I'm leaving. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a workout went great. And I see some, uh, you know, somebody stops me, they're yelling at me to, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. Somebody wants to see you. So we're just waiting, and we see this person, you know, driving on like a go kart. Somebody in the passenger seat. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, probably somebody's front office and whatever. And I, I look, and as he gets closer, I'm like, there's no chance. And I'm looking, he gets closer, and it was like an, an aura of him was just like beaming. And I was like, he was like, I was like, oh my goodness. He was like, hey, hey, Taylor. Uh, I was like, you don't need to say anything. I know who you are. Like, don't say anything. I mean, I, I know who you are. You are Hammer and Hank. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm freaking out. He, and then, long story short, he proceeds to talk to me for about, I don't know, maybe about 10 ish minutes. Um, I remember probably like the first, like, like three minutes of it. And then I kind of was just like <laughs> in awe of everything that he was talk like talking to me face to face. And I'm just like, I think I should have remembered all that he just said, but I'm just like in awe that is Hank Aaron, like seventh and like, I'm just, look, I'm like, Oh my goodness. And, uh, um, the really the biggest thing was how big his hands were. And they, I had pretty big hands and he engulfed my hands. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh my goodness! He made me feel small. <laughs> that was that was just like the coolest day, and I was just so sad um, last week when I found out that he passed away. Yeah, we lost one of our great heroes uh, growing up for me and and everybody else. And you had that wonderful moment to to share, uh, you know, with uh, Hank Aaron. Who were your heroes uh, growing up as a kid there in Kennesaw, Georgia, outside of Atlanta? Well, I, I actually grew up in Powder Springs. Um, but you know, my, my dad is my mom and dad, really my whole family, my mom and dad, my brother, they're my heroes. Um, and then growing up, like, I think, I don't know, it's but like Dexter Fowler and Curtis Granderson really are the two guys that made me really like love baseball really. And like, it was really cool. Like to see them as I was growing up, you know, in the kind of like when I was a little bit younger, uh, you know, 13, 14, when baseball was, like, getting, like, really big uh, in my life where I'm like, I could possibly have this as a career. You know, looking at those guys, I'm like, golly, like, those are guys that, um, especially, like, Dexter, like, he's from Georgia, like, looking at him, I think it was really just with the Rockies and then the Cubs. Like, those were, like, really cool days, you know, looking at him, and I was just like, this is pretty sick. I think, yeah, yeah, I was like, this is like looking at him play, how he had so much fun. I was like, I could be just like this guy, you know? And that was just great for me. So those were like the guys that really like, you know, molded me into who I am. When you look at this upcoming season, what are your goals? What would you like to accomplish this year? Wow. Um, I, you know, I think for me, um, personally, I want to win everywhere I go. Um, you know, there are some personal goals, I, I try to keep to myself, um, and I'll, I'll give you one of them is just being the best teammate that I can be on and off the field. But as far as, like, me contributing, like, I'm, I want to win. And that comes down, you know, obviously to, like, the little details, having good at-bats every single time you get up, quality at-bats when you get up every time, um, making the small plays, whether it be a ground ball to me and I come up making the throw a second or – 
you know, keeping that guy from running. I want to do that. Those are my goals this year so that I can contribute to those guys and pretty much back those pitchers up as much as possible and drive in as many runs as possible so I can help the team win. That's really, um, you know, cut and dry how I want to be this year. Just win. I love that, Taylor. Visiting with young outfielder Taylor Trammell. Taylor, 2020 was a strange year for all of us trying to play through a pandemic and uh, no minor league season. You had about 30 players down in Tacoma at the alternate training site. How much work were you able to get in there to to get ready for the offseason, get in some work now during the offseason, get ready for spring training? What what was that experience like for you? It was it was different. It was different. Um, I'll say it's had bit difficult as well because we didn't have fans with us, um, but. I, I got in my work. Um, I got, you know, my bees in. I got a chance to face some really good arms. Um, I, th- I think that it was, you know, honestly, it was great, you know, overall the experience um, because, you know, I got to talk to some of the guys that were coming down from the big leagues uh, just to see how it was up there and everything like that. Um, I, I think that it was just an, really it was a, it was a great time. Uh, and it was a smooth, very, very smooth transition uh, I thought it would be a little bit like of a weirder tra- uh, transition because I got, I just got traded um, in a condensed season with a pandemic. I thought it was going to be a little bit more difficult to, you know, find new guys to you know talk to and stuff like that. It was it was smooth. Um, I knew a lot of guys within the organization. Uh, a lot of guys were very open with me. A lot of guys were just very welcoming of me, and I thought that was great. So. It was a it was a very good transition with this season. Taylor, I'm telling you, if uh, if your talent matches your personality, son, you're going to have a successful career in the big leagues for a long time. We love visiting with you, and I can't wait to see you in a Mariners uniform at spring training. Hope to see you up in Seattle real soon. We can't thank you enough for the visit, buddy. Thank you guys for the time, and I'm just very excited to be with this organization. I really do appreciate you guys having me on. Well, it's great to have you here. Outfielder Taylor Trammell and Hot Stove continues. We will wind it down right after this timeout. And the 0-1 pitch to Loriano from Yacobonis. On the way, swinging a high fly ball, deep left center field. On the run to the winning track. Kyle Lewis near the wall, leaps up, and he makes the catch! Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis over the wall and left center brings it back, and he takes a grand salami away from Raymond Loriano. Ah, yes, one of the many highlights from Kyle Lewis this past season. Rookie of the year in the American League. What a season it was. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and where it all began with his Mariners career as we connect with the Mariners area scout in the Southeast, John Wiedenbauer, who scouted Kyle Lewis back when he was in college at Mercer, also scouted Emerson Hancock. But, John, it is great to talk to you. It's great to have you on. I can't wait to hear some of the stories about scouting Kyle Lewis. But I have to think... After scouting Kyle and everything he went through, and then he makes it to the major leagues, your first sign to get to the big leagues. But to watch him win the award, win Rookie of the Year, what did that mean to you in the moment to see that? It was, I, I mean, I, I got chills when when they announced his name, you know, and it was even a lot of people, you know, reaching out saying, look, he's, he's got it in the bag, you know, listening, listening just to the, to the broadcast every, every game it's, you know, Aaron talking about, Hey, he's, he's a lock for it. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, but it's got to happen still. And, you know, listening to the media, reading stuff and, 
you know, people were talking about Luis Robert and, you know, he's a good player too. And, um, you know, you, you just didn't know. And so the, the fact that he won, it was unanimous. It was, I mean, it was awesome. And I, and I, I watched the, uh, the YouTube piece that they, that the Mariners did on him um, shortly after. And, and it brought out, brought back a lot of good memories of, of, you know, kind of the process and that injury. Oh man, it was, it was tough. I mean, we, our scouting director at the time, I believe was at the game when it happened and he reached out to me and he was like, I don't know. He's like, I, I don't think it's major, but we don't know. Like we just, we just didn't know at the time. Cause kind of like what Kyle said in that documentary, he, he, he wasn't sure what it was. He didn't think it was severe at the time. So it was, um, it was kind of a, let's see what happens type of scenario. And then once they announced, you know, what, what the diagnosis was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was hard. You know, it was, you felt like you were kind of going through the same thing. It was like, Oh no, what, you know, what does this mean for his career? Last year was really his, his first healthy year back. And, and it was like, okay, you know, what, what's his ceiling, you know, what, what can he be? And I heard a lot of people saying this past off season, he was, he was really working on speed, agility, uh, athleticism, everything that once he got on the field, even in spring training this year, I was like, man, he looks like he looks better than he did before the injury. I was like, this is, this is exciting. This is what got you excited when you saw him before. And um, to see what he's done, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it, it's hard to say, cause I, I don't want to say I'm not surprised, you know, cause he always, he never ceases to amaze me, but it, it was, it was something that you thought he was going to do. Right. Cause, cause just the makeup, the character of everything he was, it, you know, that, that was, you were confident that that's what he, who he was going to be. We're so lucky that, that it's played out as it, as it has. And as devastating of an injury as it is, it, it probably happened to a guy that could handle it, you know, and, and um, you know, somebody that can, that can, come back stronger. And I remember reaching out to him shortly after the injury and he was, he said, you know, Hey, this is, it's just a, just a setback, you know, I'm going to come back stronger. And that's, that's everything I expected him to say after getting to know him pretty well. So when you saw him play, what jumped out when you saw him in those early days for the first mm -hmm. few times? Yeah. So he, he was at Mercer, which is a, a during the Southern conference, it's a mid-major type school. And he, he just, he, he stands out on the field. I mean, he is his size, his athleticism, the way he can impact the game. And it was offensively and defensively, you know, he, he found ways to, you know, put the ball in play and hit the ball, you know, with, with a ton of power. I mean, that's, he, he had power to all fields. I've saw him hit home runs to all fields. I saw him hit home runs off of fastballs, breaking balls, change out, like, you know, everything you'd want to see. But what really stood out was his his defensive play, like his his instincts in center field. Right, it was he was never the guy that you just said, "Wow, he's a burner. He's going to stay in center field." He was the guy that he had really good instincts, and he got to balls that you were like, "Man, he that was pretty impressive." Mm -hmm. And I mean, he could go up and the ball that that he robbed Loriano on this season, right? I I actually saw him do do things like that in college, and and it was like, man, that's you know, I. I I wasn't very quick to say, Hey, he can't play center field. I was like, I, I'm going to give this guy a, a realistic chance. And I, I think, I think our organization did a good job of, of, of really, you know, being convicted and saying, Hey, he, this guy deserves a chance to at least stay in center field. And then when we got closer to the draft, he, he was pretty well known, even when I got into the area that he was probably going to be a first round pick. He had a good, good sophomore year. He was the conference player of the year. He went to the Cape. He had success in the Cape. Right. So he was a pretty well-known name yeah. and he was, he was already pretty high on the prep list to begin with. So he was, um, he was already pretty well-known, but his success throughout the spring ended up 
leading us to think he might not be there at 11. He, you know, there was, there was a lot of media that felt like he was going to go early, you know, top five picks. Some, some people even had him one, one. So there was, it was kind of like one of those things where I was like, man, he, he's doing so well. And you're really pulling for the kid. It's just, I don't know if he's going to be there and, and come draft night. It was maybe not a ton of expectations for me, but just sitting there, I wasn't in the draft room. I was at home. And sitting there watching the first couple of picks come by, it was like, okay, we haven't heard Kyle's name yet. This is all right. And then once we got, once we started getting to like six, seven, eight, I looked at my wife and I was like, okay, this is getting a little interesting. What's going on here? So I started communicating with some guys and it, it really wasn't until the pick before, I think it was right after pick nine. I want to say somebody reached out to me. and was like, Hey, I, we think it's going to happen. So it was, it was pretty much last minute to find out. And uh, I couldn't have been more excited, you know, just kind of how it all played out. And we'll, we'll get, we'll talk to talk about Emerson here in a minute, but, but both those guys, like just probably two of my favorite guys to scout, two of my favorite guys to, to, to talk about, to get to know just guys that, that you draft them and you feel really good putting your head on the pillow at night. Right. And you're like, okay, I feel really good about what he's going to do in our system and organization, how he's going to carry himself, you know, how he's going to represent us. So I, I couldn't have been more happy with, with how everything went down. You mentioned reaching out. It's something that fans don't get a chance to see, but you form a relationship with players you're scouting, their families, and then they sign in the organization. You kind of help shepherd them through. I mean, there's there's a lasting relationship there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I I, I got to go into his house, which is for a college guy that that's not in terribly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, usually with the college guys, we usually meet with them on campus, maybe at the baseball field or baseball offices that's usually more of protocol for the college guys. It just so happened that we were able to meet, I think it was over the holiday break over the winter break. And he lived, he lives up near, near Atlanta, a little East of, of the city. And I was, I was in the area. So it, it just kind of made sense. Our scouting director and our national cross checker at the time, they, uh, they, they joined me as well. So I got to meet him going to his, going to his house, you know, meet his parents, meet his brother, meet the family, kind of really get a good, a good vibe for, for everything that, that him and his family you know, are, and that, that was just kind of the start of it. And then every game I went to, you know, I got to see his parents, hug his mom, you know, you're right. You, you really form a relationship. You almost feel like you're, you're part of the family to some extent. And, and then once we drafted him, I flew out with Kyle, his dad and his brother, his mom stayed back cause they had a draft party and they had a bunch of family that were in town. So they're like, ah, somebody's got to stay back. So, um, unfortunately mom had to, had to pull the duties for that, but I, I flew out and we spent three days together. I mean, we were together all day, um, just kind of seeing the city, doing some different things, um, getting to go to the ballpark and, and already feeling very confident of who he was. Just spending three days with him there was like, man, like it, he's, he's so much better of a human being than, than I even expected him to be, you know, and, and it, you know, it was, it, you, but you're right. Like I, I, I texted him right after he won the rookie of the year. He was like, he, he, he shot me right back. He said, thanks, man. You know, you've been there from the beginning. Appreciate everything you've done. You know, it's, it's good. It, it, it makes you feel pretty good about, about what you're doing. Well, congrats on that. And who knows, maybe you'll have another rookie of the year here down the road. You know, you mentioned scouting Georgia and that's kept you pretty busy. I think the Mariners have used a high pick, what, three years in a row on a player from the university of Georgia, including yeah. the last pick. Tell us what you saw from Emerson Hancock. Yeah. Yeah. So Emerson, um, Emerson was a little different than Kyle, than Kyle in the sense that I, I got to scout Emerson when he was in high school. So I had a little bit more history with him before this, this spring. And he was, he was a pretty well-known prospect. So I saw him multiple times. I got to know him and his parents pretty well. 
through the high school, uh, the high school season. And then his parents always would come to games, you know, as a freshman and sophomore when he wasn't even dropped eligible at Georgia, got to see his parents and kind of keep, keep in touch with him, but to get to see his development. I mean, he was, he was an interesting player out of high school and he showed you some velocity and he showed the field to spin the the breaking ball, but he just didn't hold his velocity, you know, as, as well as, as maybe a guy that you would, you would feel really comfortable, you know, trying to select. And, and he was also very committed to going to school too. Both his parents were, were in the educational system. His dad was a football coach and his mom, I, I believe was a, a speech pathologist. They, they were very educational based. So he was, he, w- he was very, very confident that he wanted to go to school. And, and that was, you know, that was a decision you, you respect it. And, but he, you know, got to, got to really scout him for about four years, really from, from his senior year of high school all the way through his junior year and to see him progress and go through, you know, the, the strength, the, uh, you know, adding weight to himself, improving his mechanics, improving his velocity, doing everything you would hope he would expect it. He, he added a slider, which was something he didn't throw in high school as well. So it was a little bit more of a, a complete package to feel like, Hey, I've, I've seen him progress and, and get to go through that. So, but another, another really impressive human being, just, just, I mean, you, you, you couldn't ask for a better, a better guy to get into the organization and just be around, you know, the, the other players and the coaches and, and you know, you're going to get everything that he has every day. So he's just another guy that, that it's hard not to pull for. Throwing out last year because it was such an unusual year. During mm-hmm. a normal season, how many baseball games do you think you end up watching there during the course of a season? Oh, good question. Just the spring or the whole year? Oh, the whole year. Give us the whole. Oh year. man. Oh geez. Um, there are some days during the spring we'll see upwards of three to four games. And it might not be the whole game, you know, pitch, you know, pitch one to the last pitch. Sometimes it's if you go to see a high school pitcher and he's throwing two innings and you got a chance to go run over and, and possibly see somebody else close by, we'll do that. But I, I would imagine I, I see parts of maybe 150 games in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then we do a little, we do some crossover work between um, amateur as well as some minor league coverage we do in the summer. So so I'll see, you know, I'll see a bunch of amateur games and, and see some minor league games as well, usually. And then in the fall, you're watching a lot of scrimmages and a lot of, you know, team practices and, and stuff like that. So, man, to put a number on it, that's really hard. It's, I, I, I would say a few hundred to say the least, yeah. I, I would think, you know, that the, the you're seeing and you're, you're watching, you, you don't really have a, a template for, hey, these are the guys that you need to go scout you know, and, and these are the ones that you focus on. It's more, Hey, you know, this is your area, you know, find the best players. And, and typically there, there are certain events that the better players show up at and that helps us, but there's always guys that fall that slip through the cracks. And so it's, it always keeps you on your toes and and we'll go to some of these big events and, and you got your head on a swivel trying to watch multiple games and seeing if just something jumps out at you. And it's, uh, it, it it takes a lot of time. It, It takes a lot of time on the road and, you know, away from the family, which is hard, but it's, it always seems worth it in the end for sure. I talk about it all the time. There's nothing like the MLB draft. I mean, you're talking about high school kids and mm-hmm. JC kids and small college, major college. I mean, you're talking about hundreds and thousands of players. And uh, I don't know if everyone realizes how much work that is. And it's, it's fun to when it pays off with guys like Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock. So congrats. I mean, Thank that's you. Got to go great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm uh 
I'm excited. You know, like, like I said before, it's probably two of the best guys that I could have asked for that I've had the opportunity to scout over the last few years that we've, we've been able to get in the system. So hopefully they're, uh, they're big leaguers for a long time and take us to a world series. That's the goal, right? <laughs> That's the goal. Sounds great. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Gary. There it is. John Wiedenbauer, area scout for the Mariners. The Mariners community tour presented by root sports is back in 2021. It's virtual. You can follow public live streams, features Mariners players, broadcasters, and they talk about the offseason and the outlook for the season ahead. And more information, good times and fun, dates, times, just visit mariners.com slash community tour. More to come on Hot Stove right after this. And again, welcome back to Hot Stove. As we wind down the second hour of Hot Stove, we had a chance to talk a lot of baseball with Mariner skipper Scott Service, who also visited with young pitcher Justin Dunn and young outfielder Taylor Trammell and also uh, the scout John Wiedenbauer mm-hmm. who, who uh, took a look at a very young Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock. What a job, and that's so important for any major league club. Gary, this was a lot of fun, and coming up tomorrow on Wednesday at 10 a.m., a media session with Andy McKay plus uh, some future stars. We're going to visit with Logan Gilbert, Jared Kelnick, and Emerson Hancock. Also on Wednesday at 12 o'clock, we'll have a virtual clubhouse chat with Julio Rodriguez. You don't want to miss that. Mm. And then at 6.30 tomorrow night, we're going to have uh, Mariners Super Trivia with Super this trivia. guy right here with Gary Hill. <laughs> Test your Mariners knowledge for the chance to win some great prizes. Gary, you ready for the fans? I'm ready. Oh, this is exciting. Man, that's I can't be... wait for this. I this know. is right up my alley. I know it. I love trivia. I do, too. I really Especially do. Mariners trivia. Exactly. Actually something I feel like I'm, I'm good at. Oh, There's not many things, things I'm good at, but I think, I think Mariners trivia is one of the things. The fans are going to love that. So tune yeah, in tomorrow night at 6.30. Mariners super trivia, not just regular no, trivia. No, no, no. It's super trivia. I, I want no part of regular <laughs> trivia. I only do super <laughs> trivia. Okay, let's try to work in a question about Jeff Manto, okay? <laughs> that, that'll be super <laughs> trivia. <laughs> that will be. That is in the weeds trivia. There we go. And then coming up on Thursday at noon, uh, I'm going to host a virtual clubhouse chat with Mark McLemore, Jamie Moyer, and Arthur Rhodes. As uh, we talk about the amazing 2001 season, which the Mariners won 116 games, more games than any team in baseball history in a single season. At uh, 7 p.m., we'll have uh, the roundtable, the, uh, our 2001 20th anniversary roundtable premieres on YouTube. I'll sit down to reminisce with members of the 2001 team, including at that time, Brett Boone, Aaron Seeley, Tom Lampkin, and Norm Charlton. Then coming up on Friday at noon, Mariner's virtual workout led by the strength and conditioning staff will get you in shape. And then at 4 p.m., the Inside Corner, the Happy Hour Edition, hosted by Aaron Goldsmith, Marco Gonzalez, and their special guest, Kendall Grayman. For a full list of events at Mariners.com slash Baseball Bash, you can find out everything that's going on. A busy week of baseball as we get closer and closer, Gary, to spring training 2021. Can't wait to get down there. Great show tonight, buddy. That yeah, this was, a lot was of fun. fun. This was fun. And the baseball bash has been a lot of fun, too. I know we've yeah. both done a, a number of different things. And just to hear from different players and people within the organization, it, it's been a fun week. It's been a fun couple of weeks. Yeah. We're bringing baseball to the masses here in the Pacific Northwest uh, because of COVID-19. We can't uh, get on a bus and go around to the different communities uh, around the state and the Pacific Northwest, but we're bringing you baseball, Mariners baseball, uh, virtually, so we can't thank you enough for tuning in. A lot going on for the rest of the week. Gary, that wraps it up. Another edition of Hot Stove, and we'll see you one week uh, from tonight. So we had a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.